Everybody wants to be happy. And I asked them to play ZZ Top Sharp Dressed Man when I walked up. That would have made me really happy. But uh, Alan uh, didn't do it. He, he, said, he said no. So, um, But uh, Pastor Tim's not here, so he wouldn't have known, so it would have been okay. Um, but everybody wants to be happy. As, as we think about that video, it says that it influences every decision that we make. Who we marry, what, we, what job we have, what we do every, every day in our lives. Everybody wants to be happy. Every decision that we make is building towards and working towards happiness. But at the end of our lives, we'll be honored or will God be honored? The question is inside of that. How do we remain happy when life constantly throws us curveballs? How many times have you heard someone say, I just hope everything goes smooth. I don't want anything to go wrong. I want everyone to be happy. Oh, I pray it doesn't rain on my wedding day. Oh, I, I hope that Bunch of people show up for my party. I just want everything to go good. I want everyone to be happy. But how do you remain happy in a life that is constantly shifting, constantly changing, constantly rearranging? You're heading out for vacation. You're already behind schedule, and you get a flat tire. Trying to make up some time, and you get a speeding ticket heading into reform. That is the worst place. I'm sorry if you live there. Like, it goes from like 65 to, 50 to 45 to 35, like in 10 yards. And so, and like there's a cop that just hangs out right there next to the grill. Um, but uh, but the, you get an unexpected bill. Or maybe you think you're going to scrape a little bit of extra money off this month. Maybe take a spontaneous trip and then all of a sudden you need $1,000 to repair your car. Or you go in to get your oil changed, and it turns out you've been riding around on bald tires that are showing the wire for the last three months. you got to drop five or six hundred dollars. How do you remain happy when life is constantly shifting, rearranging, and changing? When me and my wife first got married, we had $160 a month for food. 31 days, $160. We loved February because it was only 28 days. <laughs> but if you divide 160 by 30, it's not much money for two people. We like to eat noodles with pepper jack cheese and croutons. That was kind of our specialty. But all of a sudden, any extra thing that came along, we'd have to take it from our food budget. So any extra amount of money, $160 was all the extra money we had after we paid every bill for the month. And all of a sudden, I got a $72 bill in the mail from Golden Triangle Waste Services six months after I moved into my house. See, they do this glorious thing for you. They let you live in a house for six months without charging you a bill. And then, all of a sudden, they send you the whole bill all at once with just a few days to pay it. So I was all distraught, so distraught to the point that we went to my mom and dad's living room and we were telling them this story. It's not a long story. Hey, we got a bill. We don't have the money to pay it. And so, uh, but we were telling them this story. 
And I said, while I was sitting there, this light bulb went off. I said, I got an idea. I'm going to take all of my garbage every week, and I'm going to take it from my house, and I'm going to put it at your house, Dad. And they can just pick up my garbage here, and then they won't charge me a bill. My dad's like, that's not the way it works. You know, like if you live in a house, you inherently have a garbage bill. You're going to pay $12 every month whether you put a plate, 10 bags, or nothing on the side of the road. And I said, I'm not going to pay this bill. Who has $72 just lying around? Not us. I was going to have to spend half of my money on food on my garbage. I didn't even have any to put out because I didn't have any money for food. <laughs> but I was going to have to do it. Life kind of threw me a curveball there. I proclaimed as I was about to leave that I was not going to pay Golden Triangle Waste Services a dime. And my dad said, well, when you go to pay your taxes on your vehicle, they're not going to let you get your registration or your tag for your vehicle. And I said, you have to pay taxes on your vehicle? <laughs> I had a welcome to the real world kind of moment. Life had just thrown me a curveball. That was not a high peak of happiness in our marriage, nor was it a high peak of happiness in my life. Does that mean that I didn't find happiness the next day? Did that mean that I didn't find happiness ever again? No. It just meant that wasn't one of my best days. Some of you are extremely happy this morning. You know why? Because I showed up in a suit. <laughs> you are extremely happy Because I got my hair cut, because I'm wearing a tie. You're thinking, man, I wish he would dress like that every day. He's about halfway to where we want him to be. <laughs> but when you wear a new suit, it's a good feeling. Some of you ladies, you get a new outfit, you go out shopping, you try on your new dresses, you get a fresh look. Go get you a new haircut, get your manicure, get your pedicure. Even you guys, some of you do that. I don't, but some of you do. Um, and uh, you get through that process, and you feel good. You know, when people are walking around smiling, and they, they look like they feel good, people say, what's different about you? Did you get a haircut? Are you wearing a new suit? Are you wearing a new outfit? Is that a new dress? That looks great on you. It's something about that fresh look and that fresh feel and that fresh start. It's a pretty good feeling. It's one of the happiest days of our lives when we get to wear a new outfit out in public. People see us smiling from ear to ear. It's just a good time. But it never feels the same way the second time you wear it, does it? Your hair doesn't fall the same way the next time. You know, your hair starts growing. How dare it start growing? And then, you know, you have to have things done to your suit and so on and so forth, your outfit or your dress. It just doesn't feel the same the next time you wear it. When I was a kid, if you walked forward at the end of church and you said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, oh boy, we filled up the baptismal right then. We gave you an old choir robe. The preacher put his waiters on. He went up there and he said, by your profession of faith, 
I now baptize you in the name of, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ, rise and walk with Him. Curtain slammed shut, organ started, piano play, and it was, Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the t- something years alone, but for eternity. And it happened. And some people were sitting there and like, oh my goodness, why did Earl have to get baptized today? We know we've got fried chicken in the fellowship hall and it's getting cold. <laughs> they would have baptized him tonight if he just would have showed up tonight. But it was a great feeling for all of you when you were baptized or when you accepted Jesus Christ through prayer or when you came to the altar and accepted Jesus Christ. It was a fresh look, fresh start. You were excited about what Christ had done for you. You were optimistic about your future. But how do you remain happy when life constantly throws you changes and curveballs? See, you might have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but somewhere along the way you might have done something that wasn't a shining example of that. Somewhere along the way, you you might have had something that got a little frazzled or out of tune or out of sync. You sure were needing a fresh start. You weren't sure if you got it again, if it was true, if it was real. See, when you wear a fresh suit or a fresh outfit or a fresh dress, occasionally that suit's going to get frazzled at the end of the fabric. Sometimes a button's going to come off. Sometimes a stitch is going to come loose. It's going to need to be re-sewed back. When you wear that suit for the first time, you don't want any wrinkles in it. It's going to take effort to keep the wrinkles out the second time. When you wear that dress that you wore, it's going to take some effort on your part. See, if I walked into Belk today and they measured me up and they gave me this suit and they said, hey, it's going to be ready this day or you can take this one home with you, I can't go to Little Dewey's and get the large barbecue sandwich for lunch and the large barbecue sandwich for dinner and expect that suit to fit the same way the next day. It causes some effort and some maintaining and some sustaining on my part. See, just as your walk with Jesus Christ the second day or the third day or the 40th year is not going to feel the same as it did the first moment you accepted Jesus into your life. But it's going to take some effort and some maintaining and some tender love and care on your part. Just as you would with a simple suit or a dress or an outfit. Sometimes you got to re-sew some stitching. Sometimes you got to put some buttons back in place. Sometimes you got to get the wrinkles out. Because that's what life is about. When you follow Jesus, you have to give effort When you stop enjoying following Jesus, then you stop shining as an example of Jesus. It's a two-way street. It is not God's sole responsibility to keep you happy. It is not God's sole responsibility to give you the first parking spot at Walmart. Maybe he made you park in the back because you need to walk a little bit. It is not God's responsibility to ensure your happiness. It is your responsibility to find happiness in your walk and fulfillment of Jesus' mission. That is your responsibility. So it takes a little sewing. It takes a little dry cleaning. It takes a little effort. It takes some maintaining, some sustaining, some evaluating, and some elevating. 
If you do it with the simplest of things, you do it with the most important of things. It's simple. At the center point of the Christian life, you were tailor-made by Jesus to an exact standard, to an exact truth for his mission. And at the center point of a Christian life, you exist to fulfill God's mission as this, to reveal and to be shown as God's glory. Are you tailor-fit by Jesus and for Jesus? What do you see when you look in the mirror? sharp dressed man you see something that you created you, you see something that you did or you see something that God created because when you look in the mirror do you see someone that's tailor made by and for Jesus or do you see a, a version of Jesus that best, best fits you can you put that suit of Jesus on and walk around and, and make it make sense to people can you tailor fit Jesus to your lifestyle are you tailor-made by and for Jesus, or are you tailor-fitting Jesus to your lifestyle? Because if I walked into Belk and they pulled out the measurements and the lady's got the pins and the sewing going, and this is not the exact type of tape measure, but she measures my arms, my legs, she measures my neck, she measures my waist, my chest, because here's the significance of measuring. It states that it is true, it is exact, and it is not a guess. It is true, it is exact, and it is not a guess. If you measure my neck, it's 17 and a half. If you measure my waist, it's 34, length 32, whatever it may be. When you get done, you can go and you can put that suit on. Because some of you, on your wedding day, you had to go in and get fitted for your wedding dress. Maybe you had to rent a tux and get fitted for it. Measuring, measuring is to state that something is true and something is exact. When that suit is made, it is made exactly for you. And Christ has created in you a mission and exact truth. But when we concern ourselves with pursuing our happiness and our wants... And what God has called and what God has asked and what God has put in place doesn't fit into that mold exactly. We tailor fit Jesus to our lives. If I can make Jesus okay with my sin, then I can get everything I want and I can still have Jesus. A lot of you won't admit it, but you deal with an internal struggle of whether God is really real. And you know that you only get one life. So some people question in their minds, am I giving up my life for something that may not be real? I want to do this because I only live once. I don't want to miss this opportunity while I'm young. I don't want to miss this opportunity while I'm alive. I want to do this stuff because Jesus is okay with it. See, but Jesus has never changed. What changed is generationally we became wanters more. We wanted more and expected more out of life. But when Jesus didn't give more to our wants, 
We created a version of Jesus that best fits our lifestyle. We made him okay with every decision and stance and thing that we stood behind. Because then we can have what we want and we can have Jesus. But when you talk about the exact truths of measurements, then the only way that a Christian should ever measure whether something is true and exact is does it follow the measurement and code of Jesus' life? Because Jesus is the moral standard, he is the exact example, and he is the truth, he is the way, he is the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. So as a Christian, if you're not putting your measurements to the test of Jesus Christ, then maybe you're not measuring up. Maybe you've tailor-fit Jesus to fit what you want out of life. But Jesus is and will always be the moral standard of a Christian life. Where do you measure up in that? Where do you measure up? If they pulled out the ruler right now and started measuring, where would you fit? Where would Jesus fit into your life? There's a certain rule that a man has to wear just the top button of his coat. The couplings have to fit a certain way. The tie has to be tied a certain way. A bride on her wedding day, she has to wear something old, something uh, new, something borrowed, something blue. There's all these rules and traditions. And just the same in the simplest of things and the most important of things, they're the same. If there are rules for simple, stupid stuff like wearing a suit, then there are rules and ways that we should conduct ourselves in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot create in Jesus, Jesus, to what we want him to be. We must accept Jesus for what he is, and we must create in ourselves through the prayer to Jesus Christ the ability to follow Jesus wholeheartedly the way he has asked us to follow him, not the way we want it to be. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, where you stand, where you fall. At the end of the day, the only exact truth that will fall is that Jesus is, was, and will always be the moral standard for everything in life. The New Testament outlines the life of a perfect, blameless person who walked this earth, who took upon our our wrongs and paid the ultimate price for it, And in doing so, why? So that you can have the opportunity just to be happy. Just the simplest of things. I don't care what it gets down to. I don't care what you think Jesus is. I don't care what you think God might be. I don't care about the backwoods theologies. I don't care about it. I care about what did Jesus say, what did Jesus do, and what did Jesus show us. Because I'm not guessing with you. I want exact, I want true, and I want that. You can take that road. Anybody can take that road. I'm not going to take that road. Because if you're battling with whether it's real and whether you just want a life that you want, then you need to swallow that today and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and be done with it. And accept this, that God has called you to live a certain way, he's called you to do a certain way, and he's called you to be set aside. And that might mean that you don't get to do everything you want. It might mean that you might not get the first parking spot at Walmart. It might mean that every day is not your best day. But it means that you've already won. 
You've already won. Because the Christian life is gain. If you believe that you're going to spend eternity with a father that loves you past a measurement that you can understand, then you've won. What is it in this world that you must have that would ever bring you happiness to that point? Ever. So we heard in the video, it says this. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. Rick Burgess once said, happiness is overrated. Any emotion or feeling that can be quickly flipped on or off by someone cutting you off on the bypass, by someone showing you a gesture on the bypass, anything that can easily be flipped off or turned off because someone got your order wrong at McDonald's, something that can be easily changed or removed because you had an extra bill show up that month, is a feeling or emotion that's overrated. Anything that can easily be changed. But when we understand that Christ is the center point of our happiness, and Christ is the center point of satisfaction in this life, then we truly understand that it is through Christ that we receive happiness. It is through Christ that we receive everlasting satisfaction. Not in stuff. Because it is not God is most glorified in me when I am most happy with my circumstances. It is not God is most glorified in me when I am most happy with the stuff that I have. Because I guarantee some of you bought a boat, then you had to have an RV. Then you bought an RV, then you had to have a bigger house. Then you bought a bigger house, then you needed a smaller house because you got too much stuff. Then after you got the smaller house, then you bought a second house. Because you can't put happiness into stuff. You're never going to find it. You're never going to achieve it. You're never going to reach it. It's going to be a constant struggle. It is not God is most glorified in me when I'm happiness, when I have happiness in stuff. It is God's glory is most shown through me when I understand that it is God, not giver of gifts. But it is God who is simply Jesus Christ for no other simple reason than that, but simply because he loves me, because he always has, because he wants what's best for me, that he sent his only son to die for me, and he cares to meet my most basic needs in my life, not my wants. When I understand that, then God is most glorified in me because I am satisfied with Jesus Christ as Savior, not as giver of gifts. Not as someone who gives me a parking spot. Not as someone who gives me what I want. Not as someone I measure up to make what I want. God is not most glorified in me when I create in Him what I want Him to be. God is most glorified in me when I am satisfied that Jesus Christ is, was, and will always be the Savior of the world. Simply that. Nothing else. When I understand that the days that I frown even still deserve a crown... God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. So how do you remain happy when life keeps throwing you a curveball? When life keeps changing? When stuff happens? How do you remain happy? You understand that Christ is the center point of happiness and satisfaction. When you understand that you've already won the fight, and if you fight this Christian life and lead, lead this Christian life the way that God has called you to lead it, then you have won the battle. You might be in chapter 2 or chapter 3 of a 20-chapter book or whatever it might be. 
But you know the final chapter. Just write the chapters in between. Follow his measure. Follow his call. Don't create in Jesus what you want him to be. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Ephesians, if you will stand with me real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. If you have your copy of God's Word, it won't be on the, uh, the, the screen today. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. With all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one, hope belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us in accordance to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, he, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I'm going to go forward just a little bit to verse 15. It says this. No, I'm going to go to 14, sorry. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way with him who is the head into Christ. From, from whom the whole body joined and held together at every joint with which it is equipped. With each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Walk in the manner in which Jesus has called you to walk. You have been given hope. You have been given an immeasurable gift. You have been given an immeasurable thing. Don't create Jesus into something that he is not. Jesus simply is and will always be sufficient enough to meet your needs. Constantly, daily, every day. Let us pray. Dear Gracious and Heavenly Father, I thank you for this scripture. I thank you for the words of, of Ephesians. I thank you for the, for the message this morning. God, I hope that I wasn't in the way. And I hope that, God, I've delivered something that was meaningful and truthful to someone that's in this building today, God. I pray, Lord, that you will take the words that we have brought, that you will bring uh, hope and meaning to people's lives, God. And I pray that we won't create in you something that you are not, but we will follow what you have told us to follow. That is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat>